welcome to Minute 5 of the Great Escape Minute Podcast, a daily podcast where we dig into the Great Escape one minute at a time. I'm your host, Tom. And I'm Rob. Today it is Friday. We are talking about Minute 5 of the Great Escape. Minute 5 starts with the POWs coming into the camp, and it ends with Hendley checking out the security security perimeter of the camp. So first thing I want to talk about is just one of the best shots, in my opinion, of this film. And that's where we get this look at, you know, all the POWs come in, but then we pan down and we get this look at the fence as Henley's coming over to look at it. And the way we get the music and the way that shot is done, it just makes it look so much more intimidating. Because, I mean, we start the shot, you know, we see the barbed wire at the bottom of the frame, but we're looking over it, getting a clear view of all the POWs. But as we move down, it's shot in such a way to make the fence seem incredibly tall. And then it's shot at an angle, too, so it just, we're looking through multiple layers of barbed wire now into the camp to see Henley standing looking at the fence. Actually, it's Ives. Oh, <laughs> I have Henley. Yes, it's Ives. Ives. I have Henley written in my notes for later. Yes, it's Ives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it was Ives, and and it, it, it's a good contrast because of the fact that Ives is, you know, he's a is he's a tunnel man. You know, he's a short jockey. You know, so so it makes it even seem more intimidating the way that they they film this. I mean, as you said, the the panning shot is great because you first see everyone enter the camp and you don't see. The, the 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 barbed wire or you don't see the fence and everything like that and then it slowly moves down and as it's moving down you know the, the it, it the the gate the the fence is creeping up on them you have the barbed wire and then you have the fence and then you know and then it just I, I actually think that this this is this is great I mean it's, it's a little bit of a spoiler for anyone who hasn't seen this before but but it it says a lot about Ives and his future fate in this movie by showing you know he's he he's he's walking briskly and then he's taking a look and when he sees you know how tall the the fence is. You see his face slightly, you know, look downward. And you know, in a, in, in a few months, we'll probably get to that when we discuss, uh, you know, what what happens to his fate. What what his fate is in this movie. It, it's just done really well. And and again, it's nice to be able to to notice other uh, characters in the background. You know, you have Ives walking, and this this scene or this this part of the scene focuses on Ives, but you see Kevin just walking next to him, and you see some of the other uh, recognizable characters who don't necessarily have names. Um, actually, you can see the tailor Griffith. You see him looking around also. You know, you, you, you just, this, this whole minute gives us an impression, the first impression of these prisoners of this new camp that they've now been brought to. I mean, the three they choose. I find it interesting the three that they focus on because we start with Ive and then we get Hill walking and looking at stuff and then we get then we get Henley. There we go. That's where Henley was coming from. Correct. Yeah. You know, and we so we get the three of it's just interesting that we get the three of them are the ones we see, you know, the close ups of looking at, okay, where are we? What is our situation? Which with Henley I find interesting just given his role. It doesn't seem like he would be one of the ones checking it out no I, I actually have to disagree with you on that one i think i think that that uh, i mean a little later on they mentioned about henley 
Um, we'll, we'll, I think we'll talk about it next week or maybe even two weeks from now. You know, when Hans Messer is discussing with 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 Ramsey, you know, who the the, the various uh, prisoners are, you know, how many escape attempts they've all made and whatever. And if I remember correctly, he mentions. Or he, he alludes to the Henley also uh, along the way. I, I could be wrong. I mean, we'll we'll get to that in a few few weeks, and we'll so we'll, we'll see it at that point. I, I think this is trying to establish more the the idea of, of the fact that uh, that Garner and, and McQueen are the stars here. Yeah. I think that that that's that's the idea here. I mean, uh, Attenborough hasn't been brought in yet, so you know. Uh, Big X is still not not in the camp. So what they're basically showing here is they're, they're showing Ives. Be, I think Ives is 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 the first one they show, partially because of the fact that that he has a lot to do with with the whole idea of tunneling and of escaping and stuff like that. And I mean they mentioned a little later on that Ives actually tried jumping off the truck on the way. You know, <laughs> he's someone he's someone who who just needs to get out of there. Uh, so so you know he would be the first person to to look and you know. He, he's trying to find a way of, of, of getting out, and then he looks and he's a little despaired by what he sees. Hiltz, on the other hand, you know, he's walking and he's he, he actually picks up some of the dirt on the ground, which I found to be quite interesting the way that he he does it because he he picks it up as if he's like a pitcher. Yeah, you know, you have a pitcher on the pitcher mound, you know, who's going to pick up and uh, you know rub some rub some dirt in his hands before before he's getting ready to pitch, and and that's more or less what what this scene looks like. I mean, again, it's just a, a quick, maybe ten seconds of, of Hiltz. You know, he's walking along. He's carrying his, his duffel bag on the way. You know, he's looking at at uh, the ground. He's looking, you know, how he, he kicks one of the pylons in the ground just to see how strong they are. He looks up to, to at at the uh, uh, at the guard. You know, to see if the guard's paying attention. So I, I think that was interesting the way they showed that. And Henley Henley comes and he's basically he's looking around. He doesn't touch anything. He and what I found very interesting was is the way that he's he's looking at the, the different guards the guards look they don't really look like they're they're paying much attention to what's going on you know they're like okay no one's going to try and escape from this place i don't need to i mean none of them are touching their guns at all i mean obviously for for safety reasons you know you don't really need to one of them's tapping his gun you know he's like he's patting his gun with with his hand but none of them are are in a position where if someone were to try to escape that that like in two seconds they'd be able to get to their guns yeah i think the one at the last guard we see he's not on his gun but he just has this look on his face of if you're gonna try something at least wait till i'm off duty to do it he just looks so exactly set up with being there don't bother me and it's like well come on as as uh as anyone who's done guard duty before most of the time uh it's pretty boring anyway you know you don't want to be there so in this particular case uh you have you have guards who don't necessarily want to be there you know and it shows (laughs) because you know, they just have to sit there. They, they probably think that, oh, I have to be a babysitter instead of, uh, you know, actually doing something uh, more important for the war effort or whatever it is. So I, I found that to be interesting. Also, uh, we get to see one of the numbers on the barracks. We see barracks 109, which is uh, the one that's the closest to the uh, to the fence on this side. I don't recall right now if one, I think 109 was one of the ones where, where they dug a tunnel from uh, because it's so close. I, I don't remember the, the numbers at this point. We'll, we'll get there in a few weeks yeah. when, when we uh, discuss uh, uh, the actual, uh, uh, which building, you know, where Tom, Dick, and Harry come from. But uh, yeah, I mean, the guards just, the guards just look very unsympathetic for everything, uh, that's going on like 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 we mentioned they, they just don't want to be there right. 
And I do think I have questions about Hilkes' costume this entire movie. I, I have a feeling you're not the only one who has that question. <laughs> like, um, it's come on, this is this is not a, a an American pilot's uh, uniform. It's it's Steve McQueen's version of what an American pilot would look like. You know, give me give me the leather jacket. You know, give me give me the the, the blue sweater. You know, give me the the the, the, the baggy pants. Yeah, that's it. You know. I feel like I don't even feel like it's that. I feel like that's just what Steve McQueen wore to the set that day. Um, it's very possible. <laughs> that's what he did. Yeah, that, that's. I mean, I, I know a lot of people have a lot of criticism about uh, the way that, that uh, about a lot of things that Steve McQueen does in this movie. Uh, I mean, I do too, but it's still fun to watch. Oh no, I'm... You know, that, that's that's the that's the important thing. You know, we're not we're not looking at this and saying, you know, okay, is 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 Steve McQueen uh, is is his costume and his character. The perfect fit for for the situation, probably not. Is he the perfect fit for this movie? Yes, yeah. because again, he he he's able to, to to add a lot of comic relief and and keep things. Uh, I mean, in in general, this type of this story shouldn't be a very upbeat story. No, uh, but they they actually were able to find the the balance between giving us a serious drama and throwing in a lot of uh, comic moments to lighten things. A lot, not, not even just a bit, a lot, and and I think that that's probably one of the criticisms that that a lot of the the the, the people who who are connected to the real story had against the movie because here you're you're uh, you know you're taking some serious situations where you know fifty of their family members or friends or or countrymen, however you want to look at it, you know were were were, were murdered and they're. they're to make a movie, they they just decided to take away a little bit of the the poignancy in in this type of story. I personally, you know, I, since I don't have a personal connection to it, I can I can easily say this, but but I, I think it makes the film work even better because of the fact that that it has this perfect balance between these things. Because you know, it, it, if you're going to watch Schindler's List, for instance, okay, it's a very downbeat film. Yes, it's it's an amazing film. It's it's got a great message, great story, and everything like that. But it's not one that you're going to walk out of and, and be cheering. This is a movie where it takes place around the same time. It's still dealing with, uh, you know, with with stuff that happened during World War II. You know, there were atrocities that that were committed, and what it basically comes down to is is that that uh, in order not to bog everything down and and make it so sad to watch. They, they found interesting and unique ways to, to make things more enjoyable, more entertaining. Well, and I think what works for that, and going to tread slightly carefully here, because I don't want to, I in no way want to compare being deployed to POW situation. But what I have found is you get a group of military people in a confined situation where you have, you know, that type of force camaraderie and you know, you're just spending 24-7 together you end up finding new and interesting ways to break the tension that isn't necessarily brought up too much in film. And I... this, I think this movie tries and to a certain extent succeeds in trying to bring that to light, that these guys' outlook is, you know, not good, but they're able to, because of the relationships they build within it, have a sense of levity at time because of it. Right. No, I agree with you with that. I, I think it also has a lot to do with the fact that this was one of the first real uh, ensemble movies 
I mean, when when you look at the cast, which uh, again we're going to be discussing over the next few weeks as as we start meeting some of these characters and stuff like that, a lot of these actors were big name actors at the time, and to throw them all together and and say to each of them, okay, you're not the main star, you're not the main star, you're not the main star, you've got an important part in this movie, okay, um, and this is your job, and this is what you're going to do, and we're we're going to give you as much to do as possible. But on the other hand, they still needed to they, they wanted to show the camaraderie. Between all of these, all of these actors, you know, it's it's not a uh, an unknown fact that there are a lot of uh, actors who can be difficult to work with. Steve McQueen is is known to have been on that list, but they they wanted him in this movie. They wanted him. They wanted to make him happy in order to to make this this movie work. You know, in a few months we'll be discussing the whole motorcycle scene and everything like that. How obviously that didn't really happen. And that that's something that, that, that really pissed off a lot of the, the, the people who are connected to the real story. You know, Steve McQueen said, this is what I want to do. And this is, if you want me in this movie, this is what you're going to have to do. And they said, okay, you know, we want you in the movie, so we're going to add it. And even though that, that, that whole scene is complete, uh, is a complete fabrication and it never really happened, it's just so fun to watch. Yeah, it's still just a really cool motorcycle job. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. And again, as we said, we'll discuss it in more oh, yeah. detail uh, in many, many months from now uh, when we finally get to it. You know, uh, I, so I think that has a lot to do with it. Did you have any other notes for this week? No, no. I, I, as, as I mentioned, uh, I think yesterday or maybe it was even on Wednesday. I don't remember which day uh, we mentioned this. The, the fact is, is that that these first five minutes of the movie, there is no dialogue at all. Um, you know, we're, we're only given visual keys of, of how to look at every one of these characters. One of the actually interesting things that I read was is that, that one of the things that, that Elmer Bernstein did with, with the score is he actually gave, uh, I guess, mini scores or however you want to, again, I'm not, I'm not a, a, a music expert, so I don't know how to really, uh, describe what you would call it, but, but each character, has his own tone of music also, which, which helps set, you know, the, each character away from the others. So I think that's going to be interesting to watch and listen to along the way also. And this minute where we actually get to, to meet three of the, the characters, even just minutely, so the music helps there also with that. Wow, you know, I'm just rewatching this minute and I see someone walk by with a trombone. What? One of the, yes, I just saw... One of the actor, one of the, the the prisoners, walk into Hut 109, and he's carrying a trombone. I, I guess they had a whole band there. You know, I mean, they have the, a whole the, choir later. But... No, the choir, yes. Wow, I never would have thought uh, that that uh, Stuff Three would have a uh, have their their own marching band. You know, you have a guitar player and you have uh, someone carrying. Uh, once again, I'll tell you what second it's in. You know, I have this playing in a loop as as we're we're discussing it, and I just happened to see it. Where's it? There it is. Forty forty two. Do you see that? Anyone anyone looking? If you can if you can go to to minute uh, four forty two, you can actually see one of the characters carrying a trombone into barracks number 109. Um, wow. Do you see that? Oh, yep. I see it now. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's a trombone. Man. That, that's just amazing. I, I, it always it always makes me wonder, you know, how these things happen. This is something that that prop guy says, okay, I'm just going to give you a trombone and, and, and walk along with it. Or is it something that the actor himself said, oh, you know, wouldn't it be interesting to show that? Uh, I mean, again, we discussed this earlier. 
that you know these guys it was just yesterday I think that that these guys jumped jumped out of planes or whatever where the hell does a guy get a trombone from <laughs> I was I was concerned how someone got a guitar but here you got a trombone also I, I think a trom uh, a guitar would probably be a little more uh, common but but to have a trombone in the middle of a German prisoner of war camp wow that's just something that's crazy you see. Yeah. That's why these these that's why these minute by minute podcasts are great because you get to watch a movie in so much detail, and you get to see things that you never would have thought of seeing before. Wow, that's just amazing. Well, I don't think we can beat some random person holding a trombone unless you've got any more notes you want to cover no, for no. today. I think I think I think that's the way. That, that's a great way for us to, to to end this first week. There's no question about that. So um, so go ahead and rate and rate us and subscribe to us on wherever you get your podcast. If you want to reach out to us, thegreatminute at gmail dot com is our email address. Our website is thegreatescapeminute dot com. We have a Facebook group called the cooler and at on twitter we're at great escape mxm and join us monday and we should have guests to talk about minute six of the great escape tell you